just went. Glad to have everyone this morning. Let's all stand. If you can, if you have your Bibles, you're able to stand. Hebrews chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 14. Hebrews 12, verse 14. God's good, folks. You hear what I said, Wayne? I said God is good. Thank you, brother. All right. God is good all the time. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your precious word. I pray, Lord, that we'll not just be hearers only of the word, but God help us to be doers as well. Draw us near to you, and Lord, challenge our lives today that we might be more like you. And we'll ask in the precious name of Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I need to make a confession. I don't know if we're ever going to finish this series or not. Uh, Pam and I were coming home. I, I had to, we had to have uh, our car worked on. And so I paid our work and got, went and got her. And I was listening to a program on the radio that evening on 93.7. And they've been doing a four-year study on theological trends among the evangelical churches. And the report just came out about a week ago. And I want to tell you, folks, it's not good news. It is not good news. And I haven't had time to go through the whole thing yet. But I will take time, Lord willing, and we'll share some about that. But I want to say, no wonder our series is applicable. If the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And I want to remind you that, without a doubt, the foundations are being destroyed. Now, I, I, I can understand the attack from outside in the world. But for the life of me, I, I just can't wrap my mind around what churches are allowing to go on inside the churches today. And I'm not going to take time to explain the difference, but early on in our series, several months ago, we talked about mainline denominations and evangelical denominations. And the mainline denominations are the more liberal uh, denominations, and I won't list them. You can look them up yourself. I did that a few months ago. But we're not even considered mainline. We're evangelical. And we are certainly conservative in our beliefs about the Word of God. Now, I have to tell you, folks, I believe this is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. I believe that this book... The Word of God. Now, I, I kind of feel like I'm desecrating what I call it a book. It's more than that. But I believe that this is God's revealed Word to mankind. There are no other books. And I know through the years people say, Preacher, did you hear they found this? They didn't find anything. They've known it for years. And what we hold in our hand is what God wants us to have. I listened to a preacher this past week, and he said, yeah, somebody said it's because the uh, Council of Trent back in whatever it was. Do you understand that this was affirmed by Jesus Christ our Lord? Think about that. Wasn't some council of man. 
And then somebody said, well, you know, uh, we've taken out books. Can we get a Catholic Bible that's got more books in it? We haven't taken it out. They've added. And the reason they added is because what they're teaching wasn't found in this book. So they had to have some, add some apocryphal books that might teach what they believe. So we didn't take it away. They've added. So I, do, I believe, first of all, this is God's word. I believe it's our final authority. And here's what I'm getting tired of hearing today. Well, that's not how I feel. Don't take this wrong, but I don't care how you feel. Give me some objective truth. Give me objective truth. Uh, we, uh, we have someone in our family that we love very dearly, and he's turned his life around. And we, we were part of that. He stayed in our home for several months, and, and he'll, he'll tell you that. You know, we, we helped change his life around. But he was attending one of, the, one of these Claremont County classes on recovery, you know, on anger, all that kind of stuff. And every, I'd go down and pick him up. And he, well, they, they, they asked me how I feel. I said, it doesn't matter how you feel. Give me some objective truth. But finally he realized, and he started telling his teacher, I don't want to know how I feel. I want some objective truth here. And what we're living in a time where people are going on how they feel rather than on the objective truth of God's word. And part of that report that I heard just this last week came out, 37% of evangelicals are not sure the Bible can be read literally anymore. We're in trouble. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, today our topic is holiness before the Lord. Holiness before the Lord. And we read from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse 14, where the Bible says, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Anytime you spend any length of time at all reading God's Word, you will come up on different kinds of verses. Number one, they're all God's Word. But some are verses of promise. We love those verses. But there are a lot of verses of obligation. And we're not so much attached to those as we are to the promises. But all are important in our walk with God. And here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, this is nothing less than a verse of obligation. Now, when we think about holiness, I'm going to remind you, we kind of went into detail about it over the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to remind you this idea of holiness goes way back almost to the beginning of the Jews as a nation. Back in Exodus, whenever God gave the law to the people of Israel as they were preparing to leave Mount Sinai and finish their journey into the land of Canaan, God introduces to them how important holiness before the Lord was in their relationship. I want to read from Exodus 28, verse 36 again. And God gives his instruction, Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it, like the engravings of the signet, holiness to the Lord. Now remember, God is calling out a special people. They are a chosen people. 
They are God's people. And God says, I want you to realize, I expect you to be holy because when the world sees you, when other nations see you, I want them to realize you're not just anybody, you're my people. You belong to me. So almost from the starting line, God says to his people, you have a need and you must be pure before me. And that signet engraved was attached to the high priest's forehead. And every time they saw it, every time they wore it, it reminded them God expected them to be holy. So from early on in the word of God, without a doubt, we find that God expects us and demands holiness in our lives. But I believe in today's church, and, you know, and I understand in the liberal churches, it's been going on for years, but now it's even in the evangelical churches like ours, like the Free Will Baptist, other evangelical churches. Folks, God still demands holiness. Now, by the way, the verse we read this morning was not from the Old Testament. It was from the New. So it hasn't changed. The same God who demanded holiness in the Old Testament is the same God who demands holiness in the New Testament times. Now, preachers, so why? Why should that be a priority in our lives? Because the Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. How many want to see the Lord? I do. Amen. But without holiness in our lives, no one, no one can see the Lord. That's why it's vital that we make that an earnest pursuit in our lives. Because without holiness, I cannot see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And because no, God cannot look upon sin. There will never, there will not be sin when we stand before the Lord. And so Christians, you and I, we must and we will be sinless when we stand before God. John says a lot of things I don't know yet, but one thing I do know when I see him. I will be just like him. Holiness before the Lord. Now let me remind you again, God is serious about this. We see many examples in the Old Testament of God being serious. We see it in the New Testament as well about holiness. We see what happened when people disregarded that. We saw it right from the get-go from Aaron's two sons offering that strange incense. They were killed right away. We saw at the time when uh, David was transporting the Ark of the Covenant uh, from uh, one place back to Jerusalem and they put it on a wagon. How many know they wasn't supposed to do that? That's right. And they knew that. And one, when they came to a rough place in the road and Isaiah reached out to touch that Ark and nobody would touch that Ark and they're supposed to be with poles and as soon as he touched it, he died. We get to the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they bought something to give to God, and they lied about it, and the Spirit of God took their lives. Folks, God is serious about holiness. So we began last week to look at biblical holiness. Let's go back to First Peter again. Let's read verses 13 through 16 in chapter 1. 
And Peter says, wherefore, we'll come back to that word in a moment. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Now we looked last week at God's holiness. We're not going to go back into that again. The bottom line is this, God is perfect. He is absolutely holy, holy, holy. God is high above any other. And no one or anything else compares to our God. Somebody say amen. He's holy, holy, holy. But I want to focus again today on what what does it mean for you and I to be holy? Now, please understand, uh, Peter says it was written. And back in Leviticus 11 and 19, we're not going to read the verse again. uh, But God told Israel to be holy. I want you to be holy because I am holy. Holy. So what God was saying in essence was to Israel, I want you to be distinct. You're going to be different than the rest of the world. And your difference is going to show, and I'm going to give you certain regulations to govern how you live your life. If you're a child of God, God expects you to live your life different than the world. Amen. So, Israel was God's chosen nation. And God set them apart from all other people groups. They are His special people. And because of that, they were given standards that God wanted to live by. So that when they walk out in the world, the world would say, you know what? They belong to God. They belong to God. Go to verse 16 and back again in First Peter chapter 1. Peter said, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I hope you know by now when you read in the New Testament the phrase, because it is written, it means they're quoting from the Old Testament. And Peter's doing that. He's quoting from Leviticus. But don't miss this important part here today. Even though Peter is quoting from the Old Testament, Peter takes those words and he applies them to Christian people today, to believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And never forget, if you're a child of God, we need to be set apart from the world unto the Lord. If you are a child of God, we need to be living by God's standards and not the standards of this world. We're to be set apart. Now, it's interesting. We're not going to read that verse again this morning, but in chapter 2 of 1 Peter verse 9, Peter reminds us that we are a chosen generation, we are a royal priesthood, and we're also a holy nation. Now to remind you again, he wasn't talking about the Jews in the Old Testament. He's talking about born again believers. We are chosen by God. 
We are a, a priesthood, if you will, if you will. And, but we're also a holy nation. So Peter describes believers as a holy nation. Now, let me give you a good point here. The fact is, we are a holy nation. That's a fact. Peter, God's word, says so. We are separated from the world in Christ Jesus. And because we are a holy nation, we need to live out that reality every day in our lives. No matter where we are. Live it out. Every day. And Peter tells us in these few verses, in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, he tells us how we are to do that. We are to live holy lives in the fact that we were declared holy. So how can we become holy? We kind of highlight these. We covered this part last week. It begins with a right relation with God. If you're not born again, you'll never be holy. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will never be holy. It only results, holiness only comes from a right relationship with God by believing in Christ Jesus as our Savior. So, once you are born again, positionally, you are declared holy. But what we are positionally must become practical in how we live our lives. It must become a reality. So number one, it begins with knowing Christ. Number two, we have to daily live our lives set apart for God. Now how many know it's a privilege to have a relationship with the living God? It is a privilege. He walked with me. Is that what the song said? He talked with me. And he does every day of my life. Glory to God. I have a relationship with the God of the universe. And he came that I might have that. And so because we have this relationship with the living God, we have to every day set our lives apart and live our lives that day. Folks, God does not want us to try to blend in with the world. We are to be distinct. We are to be separate. We are to live according to the Word of God, and we're to study God's Word, and we're to grow in that and become more and more like Christ. And we started this morning in Sunday school, press on to that mark of the high calling of God in our lives. So that's where we begin. We begin with being born again, and we need to live a separated life. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Do you understand this morning that once you have taken the step of salvation, once you have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you believe that in your heart, confess with your mouth, You have become a child of God, and God declared you holy. He declared you righteous. Romans 5, 1. The Bible says, therefore, having 
I'm sorry. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, God declared you righteous. He justified you. He declared you not guilty anymore. Jesus Christ paid our penalty. How many are glad for that? Amen. We've been justified. We are declared righteous. But now that we are declared righteous, that's our position. Before you do any righteous acts, God expects us, if you will, to be and live holy, righteous lives. So what does that look like? First of all, it begins in our mind. Look, if you will, in verse uh, 13 again, 1 Peter chapter 1, first part of it. Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, again, let me point out the word wherefore is important. It is a word that ties what Peter had previously said to what he's about to say. And Peter's about to challenge us. And he links that to what he had just said in the previous verses. Do you understand today, folks, that we are privileged to enjoy a walk with God in a special way that the prophets had only prophesied about? We have a privilege with God they never had through Jesus Christ. And they foretold of that great privilege. And they prophesied of the gospel. And Peter reminds us they long to understand the broad, the breadth, and the depth of all of these benefits of being a, a Christian. And Paul said, even I'm sorry, Peter said, even the angels long to understand them better. And if they long for that, Peter says we need to show the same kind of concern regarding the way we live. Folks, God has given us exceedingly precious promises that we can live a godly, holy life. Now, let me, let me interject something here for, for, for a moment. Because some have the idea that you can't get saved until you become holy. That's not true. You don't need to be holy to be saved. You, simply, you can't be holy before you are saved. But we are called, once we're saved, we're called to live holy lives that we might picture God's holiness, God's nature, and God's grace to an unbelieving world. We're to show what God has done for us to a world that desperately needs to be saved. We're to live holy lives. Why should I do Well, Think about the price Jesus paid. Now I realize salvation is free to us. But Jesus Christ shed his blood. He gave his life that we might be saved. And we think about that, the price he paid, it ought to motivate us to want to live a life holy unto the Lord every day of our lives. 
So the first thing Peter says to do, you need to gird up the loins of your mind. That means get ready for action. Now, of course, we didn't live in that culture, and, and, and Peter's using a picture they would understand better in that particular culture, but he's picturing a person that's uh, girding up their loins. And they would, they would wear long robes at that time, and they had to run or go fast uh, to travel quickly. They would uh, take those robes and kind of stuff them in their belt or their girdle, keep them from tripping on them, and they'd be ready for action. And Paul said, get your mind ready for action. Understand, it begins in our minds. And when Peter says our minds, he's talking about our spiritual and our mental attitudes to lead holy lives. Folks, we need a new mindset. Our minds must be transformed. And just like robes that are already girded up, our minds need to be set, our minds need to be prepared, and they need to be ready for action. Amen. I'm going to tell you right now, you name the name of Christ and you live for Christ, the world is going to challenge you. And you better have your mind prepared. It better be set. Your loin and your mind ought to be girded. Romans 12, verse 2. The Bible says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, folks, I only know one way to preach, and that's give it to you straight. Amen? And, and I, I, Well, you know, John MacArthur said one time, he said, when I preach, I, I, I expect to offend somebody. Now, I don't mean it in a bad way, he didn't either. Folks, people need to be saved today. They need to know they're going to heaven. Without a doubt. But I want you to realize, whenever we are genuine in our faith, whenever we offer our entire self to God, folks, there's going to be change that's going to happen in our relationship to the world. It is going to be different. And by the way, we are called, if you're a child of God, we are called to live a different lifestyle than what the world lives. We're called to live different than what the world offers. We're called to behave different than the world. We're called to, to go other direction than the world goes. And by the way, we have to avoid anything that is selfish and corrupts our lives. We have to be holy before the Lord. We mentioned this morning in Sunday school, in the book of Philippians, Paul referred often to our new citizenship in heaven. And we do have a dual citizenship. You know, we live in this earth. We're in the world. We're not of the world. But I don't know about you, but my home's in heaven. And uh, I need an ID card when I show them. Hey, Amen. Can you imagine that at the airport? You know, where you're citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven, right? I'm born again. And if you're a child of God, you are. And so we are to live as citizens of a future world. Amen. And there's going to, there, the world is going to pressure us to conform. The world is going to pressure us to continue living according to the script written by the world. But as Christians, we are forbidden by God to give in to that pressure. 
thank God there are many today serving the Lord that have wisely chosen that a lot of worldly behavior is off limits for them. This morning in Sunday school, Dan, you shared an example about Brenda's father. And listen to me, folks. I want to tell you as a Christian, draw the line early in your life. Draw it early. Draw that line, I'll, I'll go this far, but no more. Did not Daniel do that? In Daniel chapter 1? He had already purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. He made his mind up. It just wasn't going to happen. So that's a wise decision. And make sure as a Christian, don't make it your objective to try to find out just how close and how much the world you can be like and still maintain your distinctiveness in Christ. Don't do that. Draw the line early on. But we have to realize when we, th- when we think about not conforming to the world's values, it's got to go deeper than how we behave. It's got to go deeper than just our customs. Folks, it has to be planted in our minds. And there has to be a renewing of our minds. Our minds must be transformed. And folks, only God can do that. Only God can do that. The Greek word for transformed is the root for the English word metamorphosis. And so the Bible teaches me that as a Christian, I am to experience a complete transformation from the inside out. How many know that God loved me as I was? I can come as I am. We sing that song. But God loves me too much to leave me the way I was. He came to transform my life. And so the change that we need begins in the mind. That's what Peter says. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's where all of our thoughts begin. That's where all of our actions begin. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 22 and 24. The Bible says, put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's our word. That you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We live in a world in darkness. Unbelievers live in a world not only in darkness but in sensuality. But you and I in Christ, we're taught something totally different. We are drawn to the exact opposite. We are called in Jesus to a whole manner of new living. A living which must leave behind our former lifestyle. I know what I used to be, and I thank God I'm not there anymore. And yes, I'm still pressing on. And so the Bible says that as a Christian, we must make a decision to put off our old self. We must forsake our former lifestyle. Like old clothes, we must shed our identification with our sinful past. 
And folks, we need to live as new people in Christ. Live according to God's Word. Paul used the words put off. Put off that old self. And it takes a conscious daily decision to remove anything at all that supports or feeds our own selfish desires. Paul said, put that off. But don't miss this, folks. Not only is there putting off, there must be a putting on. So we must put off the old self. And if we're going to do that, the Bible says, number one, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to put on a biblical worldview. And by the way, if I'm correct, and I could go back to my figures again, but that new survey showed that only one-third of evangelical Christians now have a biblical worldview. How sad. How sad that is. So we've got to be renewed in the spirit of mind, and we've got to clothe ourselves with our new self. With the new self. We've got to put on Christ. So how do we do that? Well, number one, if we're going to renew the spirit of our minds, we have to be involved in things that renew our minds. How many know it's hard to control your mind? Isn't that true? But Paul says this, finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, there be any praise, think on these things. So what are you filling your mind with? What are you watching? What are you listening to? And I've got to tell you, a lot of what we hear in our world is not pleasing. A lot of what we hear on our media today is not uplifting. What are we thinking? What are we focusing on? Involve yourself in activities that will renew your mind. But there also has to be a desire to live our lives after God, and not the pattern of the world. Romans 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transform your mind. The third way we renew our minds is we study and we apply God's Word so that it changes our behavior within us. All right, this is, this is a, uh, how many own a Bible? Amen. All right, you, I, I would guess everyone here probably has at least one in your home, maybe more than that. Now, do not raise your hand. Do not give me an indication. But I wonder how many spend time every day in God's Word. I wonder how many Christians spend time every day in the Word of God. I wonder how many 
Christians approach the Word of God and pray, Lord, as I read your Word, let me see myself. Let me use your Word as a mirror, Lord, to see where I need to change. Lord, speak to my heart. A vital part of renewing our mind is spending time in God's Word. Paul wrote to a young preacher, Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, 2 Timothy, he said this. He says to Timothy, that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, Folks, how many know that one of the keys to the Christian life is to be reading God's Word? Involved in the Word of God. Involved in the Word of God. So we talk about renewing our mind. Renewing speaks about a new way of thinking. A mind that desires to be conformed to God And not conform to the world. A mind that takes on a biblical world view. And folks, we will never fully be transformed without the renewing of our mind. And the great news is this. I mentioned earlier in our message today that the first priority of holiness is to be born again. You must be born again. You can pedal, you can run, you can work as hard as you want, but unless the Spirit of God lives in you, you will never become holy. You just can't do it. Now, much of being transformed, much of that work is done by the Holy Spirit. And the tool that the Spirit of God uses most frequently is the Word of God. Hebrews 4, look at verse 12. For the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now picture in your mind, if you will. Do you realize that the Word of God can reach areas of your life no surgeon's scalpel can reach. Think about that. Think about that. The Word of God is so sharp. It is so powerful. It can divide between the soul and the spirit. You ever try to do that yourself? God's Word can. The Word of God can go so deep, it Separate the joints and the marrow. The Word of God can even discern the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And I want to tell you something, folks. God's Word will do a surgery on your life that no doctor can do. God's Word can change your life. And God's Word is a tool the Holy Spirit uses most frequently, to change your life. God's Word has the ability to judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. 
And as we memorize and meditate upon the Word of God, our way of thinking begins to change. And I've got to tell you, I've lost count. And I'm not, I don't mean to be bragging that I don't want to do that. I, I'm fall short. I fall short of God's glory every day. But I've read God's word, word from cover to cover. Uh, I don't know how many times, but every time I read it, God's word is still changing my mind. He's renewing my mind over and over and over and over again. And here's what I want to say this morning. As we spend time in the Word of God, the first thing that happens, our minds become informed from the Word of God. It's not how I feel. It's objective truth. God's Word. My mind is first informed, and then it's conformed to the pattern of God and the pattern for which God originally designed us to be according to the Word of God. Informed and then conformed. So become holy. It begins in our minds. Let's stand together. I don't even know what time it is. Oh. So often we think about salvation. And we talk about having it down in our heart. And I realize that when the Bible speaks about heart, he's not talking about that organ that pumps the blood. It's talking about our inner man. But please understand, holiness begins in the mind. And the first requirement is you have to be born again. Born again. If you've not been saved, you'll never become holy. But then it requires living daily, separated for Jesus Christ. And folks, that begins in our mind, the way we think. And God's Word. Now, i, I got to tell you something, okay, real quick. My wife is not allowed to say anything. I can be stubborn sometimes. Cheryl, you said it, didn't you? You seem surprised. It's hard to change my mind. But God's word changes my mind. The Spirit of God will soften your heart. He will draw you and he will woo you. But it begins in our mind. You must be born again. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, you can be today. I can't save you, but Jesus can and he will. If you'll come to him, confess him as Lord and Savior. Don't, don't, don't hope you're saved. Know that you're saved today. A child of God, maybe you're lagging behind in your holiness. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not where I want to be just yet. Has the process in your mind changed? Are you letting God's word, are you spending time in God's word that he might renew your mind? Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your challenge today, Lord. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Lord, who helps us to become holy who uses God's word as a tool, Lord, to renew our mind. I pray, God, for all who are here today. I pray that for those who may be listening online, Father, speak to every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation this morning. You can pray where you are, or you can pray down here. If you have a need, God wants you to meet, wants to meet you today.